So you're saying to yourself, yo, sir, dude, I wanted to see Kevin Smith in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but the motherfucker sold out. Well, after I shed a tear for you, I highly recommend bookmarking csmod.com. That's the place on the worldwide interwebs to see all upcoming Smodco shows, updated with linky links to Tiki Tickets. Say it with me, baby. csmod.com. Nice. Ooh, I just got a little hard there. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream.
Shorty shows, baby Do that little, little trucking, baby Yeah, like how you're trucking, baby Give me some of that trucking, baby Surprisingly, that's called Shake That Thing. <laughs> that's by Tin Pan Band. Uh, I know I told everybody that over the holidays I was going to listen to all the CDs and all the MP3s that people sent to me and start playing some different music, but I didn't do anything like that over the holidays. Um, I did nothing. In fact, I completely unplugged from technology for two weeks. Okay, well, not completely unplugged from technology, but I did unplug from social media for two weeks, and uh, I have to tell you, I highly recommend it. Please, please, everyone out there who's on Twitter and Facebook and has to answer anywhere from 10 to 500 emails a day, I highly recommend just staying away, not checking in, not updating, nothing. Put on your email that you are, and ever so nicely put, you know, I'm taking a little hiatus and I'm not checking my email and I'm actually plugging back into being a human being. So go fuck yourself until January 3rd. No, I didn't write it like that. I mean, kind of like that. I didn't put the go fuck yourself part, although it's what I meant. <laughs> it was it was between the lines there somewhere. Anyway, uh, so I didn't get around to listening to lots of music, but I'm hoping, oh, there's, oh, that's my new iPad. My iPad makes, um, uh, okay, if you could see right now in front of me, uh, Steve Jobs would be very happy. I have two different Apple computers and an iPad and my iPhone. I, I should have my iPod in here somewhere right now. Uh, nope, there's not one attached to my stereo right now. Anyway, that little, that little fairy dust is my iPad telling me that something's going on. So I'm going to have to, uh, redo that in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to try something new today. We're going to call Skype on my iPad with my guest. It's going to be very exciting. We're going to switch and it's, and you guys won't know, but you will know because I just told you. Anyway, back to the technology thing. So I unplugged for two weeks and, uh, I have to tell you that, uh, I, I found myself again. I, I, you don't realize how much you are being uh, fed ideas and thoughts and priorities 
by the world when you are on it all the time and you're watching television and you're you're online and you're reading blogs and you're on Twitter and you're following Twitter people and you're on Facebook and you're clicking on links and and you know and all that kind of stuff and uh what I found out is that uh when I unplugged everything uh, first, the first couple of days, I actually found out that I was physically addicted to it because I would be laying in bed at night and my husband and I, and we were, you know, I was still watching TV, but I didn't watch any news or anything. We were, and so we're watching, you know, like Downton Abbey or something like that. And I would feel my hand twitch to go to my iPhone to like check the Twitter feed. It was a sickness. It's like a cocaine addiction. I would literally, my hand would go up and I'd go, why is my hand doing that thing? And, and then I would feel like the thing in my body, like, oh, I need, a, I need a cigarette. Like that kind of feeling. If you're, if you're a smoker, an ex-smoker, you know what that feels like. Or if you've done cocaine at all, you know what that feels like too. And, uh, so I first found out that I was actually addicted to my, my body had start being wired by it and, and needed it or thought it needed it. And, uh, and then I found out that all of the politics I was following on Twitter, especially, uh, and the people on Twitter who talk a lot about politics, uh, by, by unplugging from that for a few weeks, um, I realized I don't care. <laughs> I just don't care anymore. I, it's not that I'm apathetic. It's not that I don't have great investment in the planet and the people on it, but I am just done. I am done with the fucking show. Uh, all of it's meaningless. It's all a bunch of jibber jabby, jibber 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 jabby stuff. And, um, everyone's got to argue their little points about everything. And there's some important points to be made. And there's some important people to stand up against. And there's some important things to change in our culture. But, uh, I don't think we need a hundred thousand comments about it all day long, back and forth in this point and that point. I just, as a citizen, I don't need that much input. So that was really, really lovely to find out that I can be a citizen of the world and not have to know all the minutia. And then coming back online around January 2nd, January 3rd, just as the Iowa caucus thing was happening. It just looked that much more absurd when I, the little bit I watched. Uh, I even tried to put on a little Keith Oberman last night and uh, was like, okay, I'll watch a few minutes. And even that, it was like, oh, okay, well, everyone's saying the same thing over and over again, so I don't need to hear this. But uh, I just saw that it was just, it's so absurd. It's, it really, I like, I, wa- I want to thank my father for, um, and I'll get to dealing with my father over the last two weeks too, but I want to thank my father for having the notion where he says, when you're born, you're born with a ticket to the freak show. When you're born in America, you have a, t- you have a front row seat. And, and so I want to thank him for that because that's exactly what it is. It is a fucking freak show. And, um, really unplugging for two weeks and coming back, it's just that much more obvious how freaky it is, um, and, and how soulless and, and mind boggling and how emptying of one's own intuition and wisdom. It, it, you know, at least for me, I found that the, you know, I could really plug back into my body, my intuition, the wisdom that I know about that steers me well. And without that quiet time, I don't know how, 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 I, how I can do it. So I've been trying, 
been plugging in a little bit more and, you know, I've got some things to talk about and some things to promote and obviously some opinions about being on the planet and all of that and being a human. Uh, so I like to be plugged in, but I noticed, um, that I do not plug in first thing in the morning anymore. No, sorry, I don't. I spend quiet time with myself. It's so important. You know, the thing about asking people to meditate, and I, I talk to my clients a lot about this, you know, you really should meditate, you really should take some quiet time. It's not because your mother's telling you to do it and it's like good for you like broccoli. <laughs> it's because it, you'll actually have a mind, a real mind to use and a real body to rely on. You know, so much of us in this culture think that it's our minds, our rational minds that get us through life and, um, and help us. And it does. Absolutely. Rational thinking is very important. Uh, but if you don't have a hit in your body about what's true and what's real for you, that gut feeling thing, that thing where your intuition lives, um, then you're only kind of working with like half your GPS because your rational mind, you know, I mean, like the Nazis used rationality in order to do what they did. So the rational mind is not the only thing that we should be depending on. Uh, there's something about body wisdom. And so I've been connecting a lot to some writers and some teachers, especially depth psychologists. And depth psychologists are people who deal with the unconscious. That Carl Jung was a famous depth psychologist. Freud was one of the first. Uh, but a lot of uh, female depth psychologists who deal with the feminine, uh, that's feminine with the big, big capital F, not femininity, not girls, but the feminine, the aspect of the feminine. And, um, and how they're really, the body is essential to this, uh, plugging into your own wisdom through your body because your body knows. Um, that's why we get some, you know, some somatic symptoms and stuff because that's our body telling us shit ain't right in the world or in your life. And so I really got in touch with my body and my intuition and just, just being quiet and actually had a big gathering of women here on the winter solstice. And, um, that was really powerful and cool. And, uh, and part of it too was, was that I realized, you know, it's been three and a half years since my dad died and, um, it's been quite a journey. It's been a real, real amazing, horrible, fantastic, horrific three and a half years. Uh, what can I say? Uh, life has, has handed me all sorts of things. And, and one thing I got during this break and really unplugging was that I'm, I'm, I, I know I'm here, you know, I, first of all, I'm, uh, part of what I'm here to do is, is protect my father's legacy and to, and to protect his name in the world and things like that. But I realized I've been spending a lot of time on it lately and especially on Facebook and Twitter and kind of answering people's questions and, and, um, being on the fan page on the, the Facebook, which I love and I love the people there, but kind of getting involved in conversations and arguments on there and defending my father's point of view or trying to explain his point of view. And you know what? I don't, I don't have the time for it anymore. I have a life to live and I have work to do this year and I love my dad and I'm, I will always protect him till my dying day, but I'm kind of done with the day to day minutia of it. So. So if you know me out there through social media and suddenly find me kind of disappearing or not answering questions about this kind of stuff or kind of bowing out of the conversation, it's just because 
it's just time, you know, and my dad wouldn't want me doing it anyway. I mean, he would be just, uh, he'd be like, get on with your fucking life, kid, you know, leave it, leave it to the, leave it to the ages, leave it to history, leave it to posterity, whatever, you know. And my dad was a stickler for, you know, correcting people on his points of views and opinions, but you know what? He's not here. So what one thing I may do actually just to kind of be done with it is, uh, we're creating a new website for him and I may create like a frequently asked questions page or something where I just kind of answer all the questions people ask me about my dad. Um, my favorite being, and which is always funny because it's, it's a really great question, which is what was it like having your dad as a, you know, a dad? But you know, it's like, well, come see my one woman show or read my book when it's out because that's a, it's a novel of an answer. Um, and, but, but the one question that drives me crazy all the time is, um, what do you think your father would think about Michelle Bachman or the tea party or something? And I'm like, so you want me to get inside my father's head and ha- imagine what he would think or say when he was one of the most unique thinkers on the planet. And yes, I have half his DNA, but I am not my father's brain. And uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I have an idea. If you look at his past material as much as I would, you could probably guess what he would think about those people. Part of the freak show is what he would think. <laughs> That's what I'm guessing. Part of the freak show. So anyway, I just, I'm feeling very uh, light about all this and kind of released and, uh, and, uh, you know, ready for the new year in its own way. Uh, things are, things are going well. Uh, my show, A Carlin Home Companion, I'm going to be doing it twice this month, once in LA at the Santa Monica Playhouse, which I think is already sold out. And, uh, and then up in San Francisco with the San Francisco Sketch Fest on Friday, January 27th at their Eureka Theater. I think it's a pretty big theater. I think it holds a couple hundred people. So there's probably tickets left. If you're in the Bay Area, come see me. Uh, so I'm doing that and, um, excited and it just, you know, it's a whole new process for me. It's, I realized also, you know, I'd done another one woman show, uh, just a few performances of it, um, after my mom died and I started it three and a half years after she died, started performing it kind of weird. It's like, that's some sort of window there for me. I don't know what that's about. I think I need to go throw the eat Ching or something. Just kidding. Um, so that's going on. And of course, the podcast here is going on and will continue to go on until I can't do it anymore because I have too many other things going on. Because the other thing that's going on is that I just found out that I will be doing a show for Sirius XM called The Kelly Carlin Show. And it's premiering on January 29th on Raw Dog Comedy. Uh, so I guess it'll be on Sunday nights on Raw Dog once a week. Part of it will be recasting of my podcast here. We're going to recut some of them and I'll have new shows on there too. And it'll be replayed extensively on our channel, channel 400 Carlin's Corner. Uh, and that's for people who have a new device or a new car or listen online. That's channel 400. That's going on. That's 24 seven George Carlin right now. I personally can't listen to it 24-7 because it's kind of weird having my dad's voice in my house all the time. But every once in a while I turn it on and there's something good like meat cake or uh, segmented walking farts, one of my favorites. Um, we played Jammin' in New York for New Year's Eve. Anyway, it was great. So anyway, I've got that going on now too. And I've got some – I can't say who I might have lined up for my first show. I'm very excited. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what's going on. Anyway, so I'll have that going on and uh, – and, you know, who knows what else? 
God knows what else is going to be in my lap this year. So um, lots going on. Excited for the new year. Oh, by the way, today is the Feast of the Epiphany for all you Catholics out there, I do believe. Um, this is the day that the Magi came and actually looked at Jesus and went, yep, that's him. So kind of I like to think of these things metaphorically because they are just metaphors. Uh, and so I like to think of it as the day when we recognize in ourselves our own highness, not highness, but higher self, our own divinity, our own sacredness. It's the day when we look ourselves in the mirror and give ourselves the little nod and say, oh, there's that fine being right there here to do fine work on the planet. So that's what I think of the Feast of the Epiphany. And I don't know what you're supposed to eat on the Feast of the Epiphany, but I certainly hope it isn't lamb because that would be very sad because they were hanging out with the lambs in the inn and all that stuff. Um, what else? Well, we've got a few more minutes here. Uh, I've got a fantastic guest today. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I've been a fan of his for years. And um, we're going to play a little music. And then when we get back, we'll have Dan Perkins, who uh, you may know better as Tom Tomorrow. And I think when you say his name that way, I think it should have a little echo or something. We don't have the hair right now. Like Tom Tomorrow and this modern world. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to play a little song here. Uh, let's see. What should we play? What should we play? I didn't think of any what music I wanted to do today. Oh, I know. We'll do um, the Clutter Family's Life the Movie because that kind of fits with Mr. Tom Tomorrow's Modern World. And I'm going to give him a call on the Skype while we're doing the music here. And we're going to try to figure this out today. All right. Uh, be back in a few.
sorry about that, people. See, I'm unplugging right now to plug in my person. So hold on a second here. We're all good here. Hold on here. Okay. Uh, so uh, my guest. So I was going to write an introduction for this. And then I was, uh, of course, doing research online um, for, for Dan and uh, found that uh, Bill Griffith, who used to do, who did the Zippy character, had written this amazing introduction for uh, one of Dan's books, Greetings from This Modern World. So I, I loved the introduction so much, and it just says so much about Dan and, and Tom Tomorrow and the modern world that I'm going to read this instead of my own introduction. It says, Greetings from This Modern World, introduction by Bill Griffith. I like Tom Tomorrow. He thinks like me. He even hides behind an alter ego like me. Come out from behind your punk sunglasses and penguin costume, Dan Perkins. He borrows tacky media icons from the past to subvert tacky media icons from the present. He lures us into a familiar 50s clip art world, and once we're at home in its safe surroundings, he delivers his one-two punch to the cultural midsection. He doesn't exactly hold up a mirror to reality. It's more like the glare off a television screen. Am I uttering sound bites yet? Like most ironic, cool, detached, self-centered, cynical members of the first TV generation, Dan Perkins is a closet optimist. Good satire works like a neutron bomb. It levels institutions, but lets people live. In order to avoid mere ranting or carping, a satirist needs a measure of affection for his target. I once asked, I was once asked after a talk, do you think people are essentially good or essentially evil? I should stress that not all my post-lecture questions are this lofty. I quipped back, I guess I think people are essentially good enough to make fun of. Beneath the vicious, unflinching attack on every treasured illusion we Americans hold dear, I believe Dan Perkins also thinks we're good enough to make fun of. Not that he lets such friendly feelings get in the way of the full frontal assault. His is really the only rational response to this modern world. After all, we swim in a sea of media. Sam Donaldson is more real to us than our own families. Infomercials are the perfect metaphor for our data-based environment. They blur distinctions between environment and, oh, between entertainment and news, between fiction and reality. The sea of media forms and informs us. Without unprogrammed station breaks like This Modern World and other outsider views, we'd be sucked into a whirlpool of bush-speak, neon-ski-wear, and Dan Rather-blather. What is the frequency, Kenneth? Tom, oh, Tom. Dan, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let's get you or Let's get you up here a little bit. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Oh, good. Yes, we are on. <laughs> on. Now I can hear you. We're doing a new... Boy, sc- that, is a, that is an old introduction, as you can tell from some of the updated <laughs> references, but I was just sitting here thinking, you know, that was... Uh, that was practically pre-cable TV, let alone Internet. When he mentions Bush, he means senior. Oh, does he really? Uh-huh. <laughs> and yet, hello, it's completely uh, fitting. Well, that um, and, and then some, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, has, uh, it has only gotten worse. It, it has, hasn't it? <laughs> oh, she laughs with pain in her heart. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, um I just want to start with a little bit of background and just kind of get the feel for how this all came about for you and everything and then we'll we'll jump deeper into your work and stuff. Um so I see that you were 
born in a nice town in Kansas uh, in 1961. Uh, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, how did how did you become this amazing social commentator, satirist? From, you can't ask questions like that. <laughs> how did you become this amazing well, whatever? Well, that's, no, that's I mean, did, did you did you um what you know what kind of background did you grow up in? Did you were you raised in a a, a liberal background or a conservative or? Yeah, no, you know, it's um, I mean. You and I are, are are close to the same age, so you know what it was like to be a kid in the mm-hmm. the 70s, maybe yep. uh, late 60s, 70s. You know, it was it was a it was certainly a, a more liberal uh, cultural milieu at the time. Uh, the uh, uh, my family, um, I would say, it was kind of somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. veered back and forth. I, I was also. Uh, there were a lot of divorces, a lot of a lot of moving around. Uh, so there were a lot of different situations. Um, but you know, it was a very it was a very liberal cultural time, and and for a while during what I think was probably a fairly formative time, I lived in a college town at the height of the Vietnam protests. Mm. Everyone was suspicious of Richard Nixon, and and everyone was suspicious of of uh, you know Republicans, frankly, and. Uh, I don't know. A lot of that probably sank in, although I just feel like that was already there. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it. I mean, it's funny thinking about this because I don't know that my mom uh, was especially liberal, but um, your dad was just so popular at that time uh, that we had his uh, records. You know, we had his, his comedy routines that he would sell on LPs. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though he was... Uh, you know, talking about hippie stuff and smoking pot and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I look back on it. I was pretty young. I'm kind of amazed that my mom just said, sure, this is very funny stuff. Listen to it. But it was very funny stuff, you know, <laughs> and, and that was, uh, uh, you know, that has been an important lesson through many influences all my life is that you can get away with a lot if you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> Being funny will get you a long way in life. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Did you um, in high school? Were you a graphic artist? Were you were you already drawing? Were you doing any kind of this kind of work at this time? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not sure you would know it to look at my artwork, but I've actually been drawing cartoons since I was, uh, you know, literally eight years old. Wow! So it was always something I wanted to do. Hmm. Hmm. And was there someone in the cartoon? I mean, were you reading like comic books back then? And I mean, who was your influence? Well, when I was young, you know, it was uh, Charles Schultz and Peanuts. Mm. And then the progression, I think, went on to uh, uh, Doonesbury. Well, Mad Magazine and then Doonesbury and then Zippy the Pinhead. Um, (laughs) These were all things that I discovered at various points along the way and Mm. and really still love them all. Mm -hmm. It's all just really great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zippy is, uh, just amazing. Like, <laughs> if you, folks out there, if you haven't experienced Zippy, go, go look him up and it's, it's, it'll crack your, crack your psyche right open. Right. Um, so, um, so you, uh, I know I discovered you, uh, when I, I must have been in the early 90s. I don't know when you were in the LA Weekly or was it the LA Reader that you were first in? Mm. 
I don't actually, I mean, I've been in both of them. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to keep a lot of that straight. But yeah, one or the other in the mid-90s. Yeah, so it was, um, yeah, because I had been studying myself. I was a communications major at UCLA, and so, and I was a volunteer for FAIR, which is Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Um, so I was really, really into the media criticism thing. And just the, the whole idea of, like, the fact that we are so mediated and none of us really understand how this stuff works or is influencing us. And that, you know, I really thought that people need to, you know, kids, kids in school, high school and younger need to really understand how to read the news, how to understand the news. And I remember early on, I think being like, you were one of the first people that I saw in, in that kind of genre, uh, talking about the news and how, what, bullshit it was (laughs) because you had these great characters these like anchors that i think they're uh, was it biff and wanda or something wanda they they still show up to this day yes and they're these fine they had to change they they used to be uh kind of local news anchors and then they sort of segued into uh cable news (laughs) and uh Sometimes, sometimes their their station seems to be a, a riff on Fox News. It kind of depends, depend or changes depending on the cartoon what they are exactly. But their 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 fundamental empty headedness has has been consistent through the years because that's the uh, uh, running theme through all of those different things. Yeah, I, I think for me it was like this. Uh... Uh, under underlying uh, underlining literally of like oh yeah look they're just teeth and hair and they just say whatever people tell them to say and then we're supposed to think it's gospel because they look beautiful and they're behind the news desk <laughs> yeah i mean don't it's, it kind of feels like though that um that early critique um early relative to us i guess but um it kind of feels like that that has just exploded. I mean, I feel like there may have just been a few places talking about it then, but now it's it's half the commentary on half the blogs I read mm-hmm. is, is basically that. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. It's like, you know, finally the curtain came down and, and we see that the wizard is just this guy behind, literally behind the curtain. Um, and Or alternately, a lot of people understood it, and the Internet just gave a lot of people the means to discuss what they already intuitively understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I guess so. I, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, the, the Internet in general, um, I mean, I was just thinking about this today when I was, um, you know, doing some research and, and looking into your stuff, and uh, there was one... Uh, day you know you did a a thing it was called watching the watchers and it was this amazing (laughs) thing where you i think you had someone on the news so it was like a regular media mainstream media person and then you had a blogger so the news person got like a hundred thousand viewers or a million viewers and then this really really important blogger got a hundred thousand followers or readers and he was commenting about how much he hated the person on the mainstream media and there was this other person who had a smaller blog who only gets a thousand readers and was commenting about how much he hated the blogger and there was another person who was commenting about the smaller blogger and then it went it kept getting smaller and smaller to the guy who just made posters and put them around his neighborhood and there was (laughs) and there was a guy who just hates the guy who puts the posters up (laughs) and and complains about him to his wife yeah that was that was very early on in the uh, uh, in the blogging days. It might have even predated blogs as much. I mean, I believe 
that was inspired by some of the very earliest uh, uh, political and media watch sites, and I, I just noticed, you know, this sort of endless, diminishing, repetitive uh, <laughs> succession of of people critiquing each other. You know, this, this set of sort of diminishing funhouse mirrors. And you know, honestly, like I say, that's that that cartoon is probably twelve years old. I think that ran in the New Yorker, and, and oh, I had yeah. a pretty ill-fated. Uh, relationship with the New Yorker that that pretty much ended after 9-11 because uh, for a while they, they wouldn't run anything that I wanted to say and I just kind of gave up on it. So hmm. that is an old cartoon um, and, and I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm not sure how I would write that cartoon today. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I, I was talking earlier about being off of Twitter and um, the last few weeks and... I did the same thing. Wasn't that lovely? Oh. Like, that's the the Glorious silence. It was so beautiful. <laughs> it's like I love and, I love my friends on Twitter, but oh, it was so beautiful. Truly, yeah. The re- reentry reentry is always a bumpy ride. <laughs> <laughs> it it truly is, and and I think that's part of it is like they're you know because I follow a lot of people or I've, I've accumulated some people that I follow that have a lot of political strong political opinions, and so there's a lot of echo chamber on Twitter. And, and I, and I just, it seems to me, it's like, there's a lot of chatter, and there's a lot of talking, and there's a lot of, you know, slicing, you know, the pie of my liberal opinion is this much different than your liberal opinion. And therefore, I don't like you anymore. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, but how are, how are, how are you and I any different? I mean, aren't we just contributing to that also? Well, I su- I suppose, you know, I mean, I, I always, though, you know, I mean, I'm not saying any that people shouldn't have opinions and stuff, but I'm just thinking like the effects of this particular media form, yeah. you know, I'm trying to figure out how, you know, h- how to do it in a balanced way in my life so that it's serving the greater whole of my life, which is, you know, having a conversation with a bigger world, and also being able to be a place where I can put my two cents into it also. Um, but also worried about like, how is it undermining? Um, you know, is it just a bunch of fucking masturbation really is what I'm worried about, <laughs> I guess. Well, um, I, I would note that masturbation has brought a lot of happiness to the world. I mean, I feel like I'm pulling a Woody Allen here, but I don't know if we should, uh, denigrate masturbation. <laughs> okay, uh, that's true. I, I don't... You know, okay. Of the two, I mean, I'm not sure social media is anywhere near. <laughs> okay. um, I, I don't want to, I don't know how to carry that thought any further. Um, but yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's, the, the, it's a real trick these days to balance. Like if you want to, if you want to be out there, if you want to be engaged in that stuff, um, you know, there's no getting around it. That's, that's the game that you're playing. Yeah. But it it is really important to learn when to put the keyboard down and step away. <laughs> yes, yes, it, it is. And like anything else, I mean, like you, I came. I don't mean to interrupt, but mm-hmm. I came back from uh, vacation and uh, on Twitter, especially. It seemed like there was just this explosion of really stupid arguments and people being really mad at each other about, um, you know, Ron Paul and Obama and this and that. And I mm-hmm. said, man, I do not want to be involved in any of that. I yep. just, you know, this is all going to blow over in a week and, and it's not going to change anything. And yes. almost the only purpose of these arguments 
is just to get a lot of people angry at each other and and that that is just not really a useful way to spend your time yeah you know and it's that it's that whole you know for for me that theory about you know the more they divide us the more power they have over us you know because we're all sitting there going my version of reality is slightly different than yours and therefore and it's like yeah it is slightly different and yet we need to get shit done people yeah well i mean <laughs> i guess the I, I i guess the good news in that scenario is that the republicans are about as divided as, as oh. i've <clears throat> excuse me as divided as i've ever seen them it, it is quite amazing to watch i mean they you know they had perfected that one speaking in one voice one message uh, f- for, you know, a, a good long while. I mean, I think through the Clintons, you know, and all of that, yeah, and then Bush. But, but what you've, you've had this weird thing this cycle where the, uh, the like the Rush Limbaugh's and the Sean Hannity's, who, who for a long time were a really important part of that messaging mm-hmm. uh, uh, Wurlitzer mm-hmm. um, of that noise machine, have kind of gone off the ranch. And, yeah. You know, like they, they really wanted Michelle Bachman or, or Rick Santorum to win the nomination. They really don't want Mitt Romney to win the nomination. And they're being really, really brutal about it. So yeah. it's, a, it's a really interesting thing to watch because, you know, in the case of Michelle Bachman, she may be a true conservative by their standards, but she, I guess, I guess who they really were were behind um, for a while was Herman Cain. Uh, yeah. Limbaugh in particular was really behind Herman. You know, I'm sorry, but Herman Cain never had a chance of getting the nomination <laughs> on so many levels. Uh, the guy who didn't know where, what was it? It was Becky, Becky, Becky Stan. I'm sorry, that guy was just not, that guy made George Bush look like a Rhodes Scholar. That was just not going to happen. Or maybe it is. Maybe, uh, uh, yeah. what was that movie? Uh, 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 the future where everything had to devolve. Idiocracy. Idiocracy, are, yeah. Yep. Maybe we are just inevitably ended, you know, headed toward an idiocracy. I mean, I remember, I, I you know, I was, I was a, a cognizant adult, a young one, very young one, but I was a cognizant adult when Ronald Reagan was president. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, what a what an idiot he seemed like yep. and 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 in retrospect you watch old film clips of him you know especially uh in contrast to George W Bush you watch film clips of Ronald Reagan Ronald Reagan and you think my goodness what a what a what an erudite man yeah. <laughs> how 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 uh, well spoken he is you know i mean yeah. the the standards get worse every time we're witnessing the 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 de-evolution of politics so maybe we will have a Herman Cain someday, uh, but we did at least dodge the bullet, uh, that particular bullet, this cycle. Yeah, yeah. Unless he makes a comeback. I, I think he only suspended his I, campaign. He did. I don't think he... Uh, he stepped out entirely, and memories are short. So, you know, you get past this little <laughs> scandal unpleasantness. That was all of three weeks ago. And, and you know, the cane train might come sweeping back into the station. Who knows? Uh, you know, and all he'll need to do is just quote another Pokemon movie. and uh, <laughs> That was quite good. <laughs> he could be right in there. Yeah, it, it is quite spec. I mean, uh, watching all of that, I have that similar feeling because I was in 80, in 80 when Reagan was uh, – you know, running and everything. I was too young to vote at that point. So, but I remember thinking, oh, America won't elect him. That's silly. That's crazy. Americans yeah, are yeah, smarter the actor, than that. The actor, they're not going to elect an actor. Elect when a, that was the pejorative. Yeah, it's like, yeah, he was governor of California, but, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, 
And truly, and I was, you know, and then he got elected. And of course, that's when everything started becoming dismantled. But uh, and then, of course, the same thing happened with George Bush. I thought the same thing. I think, no, they're not going to really elect a guy who they'd rather have a beer with. Then well, the, they're not going to elect the deer in the headlights guy who says that Jesus is his favorite philosopher. <laughs> yeah. And but in fact, they were and, and they, did and did twice. yes, exactly. And I know, I know. The first one is questionable, but the but, second uh, one really, they know, really the did. The second one isn't, and and the second one. I mean, I mean, you can you can say the first one is, uh, and a lot of people to this day, whenever I say something about George Bush being elected, will say, "Well, he wasn't really elected," but the second time he was, yeah. and I think that's even worse. Yep. People elected him when they knew what yep. he was. I know, I know, and and that's. Uh, it is. It is. I just, I really do. I, I, and that's why I think I, you know, I'm coming to this point where, like you were saying, you know, it's like, oh, a few weeks will go by and everything will settle down again. And, you know, whatever kerfuffles going on in politics this week, it'll be another fucking kerfuffle next week. And, yeah, and yet that's my job to write, you know, like to write about the kerfuffle. That's the weekly job. kerfuffle. Part of my job. Part of my job. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I try. I try to sort of surf slightly above it. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that. So so how do you, um, you know, I mean, you have to have kind of a big, wide perspective, obviously, to to approach your work. H- how does it, how, like, how does your process actually work? Like this week, or do you have a couple of ideas of some things <laughs> of what you're going to be? I laugh. I laugh, I tell you. I laugh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, um the writing process is is uh um i mean there are there are difficult jobs in the world i want to acknowledge up front and and mine is not one of them you know uh whenever i was had to run an errand this morning and i stopped in the middle of the road so the the guy with the garbage cans could pull them over to the truck cuz that guy has a difficult job yep and and the last thing he needs is some asshole like me impatient so that you know he can't <laughs> right. get it. you know you know what i mean like yes. there are people with really difficult jobs yeah um that said the writing process um is always kind of uh, it, it takes me a while to get in the groove especially when i've had a few weeks off mm. Um, and it kind of takes me a while to sort of, I don't know, gear up for battle again mm. and, and gear up for like engaging the world in that way again. So no, this week, a week when I'm coming back from vacation is, uh, I, I'll just be happy. I mean, I, I did actually end up writing something. I, I have managed to do that for 20 years. Right. Um, but you know, there, there will generally be a day or two when I think my career is clearly over and I'll never have another idea. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that makes me feel so much better, Dan, because, you know, as a oh, writer, I think I mean, most writers, yeah, that, you do, you, you, but you go through this, like, you know, I think it's like, it's, it's like, it's like a little miniature death at every mm-hmm. time you have to approach, you know, the blank page or, or whatever no, it is. Sort of that, that, that blank page moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite happy with the job and, and my life and so forth. That's a dog. That is, dog. that's Stella. I have two dogs. I'm in my home doing yeah, this, yes. Joining us on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but there is that moment where that, that blank page moment, that's just, that, that's a moment where I'd rather be doing almost anything else in the world than writing. And, and once you get past that, it's copacetic, but that is, uh, yeah. 
That is difficult sometimes. So yeah, no, this week was a bit of a challenge, but now I'm feeling like I'm kind of back into the flow of things. This and and then next week will be a challenge, but less of a challenge. Right, now. right. Now and and you you use the word you know like go to battle again. You know, and it's just an interesting word to choose. But what you know, what do you feel your kind of your role is in our culture? What like what is well, your what is your you know, job, Dan? I I kind of. You know, well, well, in terms, I mean, just purely in terms of dealing with writer's block, I try to narrow it down that my job this week is to write a cartoon that's worth somebody's time to read. Mm. You know, I, I, I just kind of try to keep it focused on the, on the immediate goal. Mm-hmm. Um, in a larger sense, you know, the internet has changed it a lot. I mean, I mean, my job used to be, to say these things that, that weren't, you know, that, that, that few people were saying in print because I had this privileged position of having something in print, even if it was in all weeklies. Uh, occasionally it did reproduce somewhere else, you know, and, and, and so that was kind of my job to sort of put information out there that other people weren't talking about, do it in, a, in, a, in an entertaining fashion. Um, the internet kind of ended that. I mean, that whole, that whole aspect of things you know, that's been entirely replaced by the blogs. Um, so now I just feel like the job is to to do that entertainingly and to help push uh help push along ideas that I believe in um and just do the best work I can do. I don't know. What do you think is my job? Sounds like I don't really <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> like I think I don't really know. <laughs> I, I think it's a really, really interesting point though that you're making that because I, I think there there was so many fewer outlets of media that like your your and your particular genre too you know it's not an essay it's not an article it's this colorful you know sometimes colorful thing in a new and it's like oh what's this colorful little comic let me read this right. you know and then you right. go oh he's talking about bush or cheney or whatever and and it was it was very enlightening and i was i was i was sitting there today and i was reading a bunch of them and going through a bunch of them and i was really trying to figure out what it is that you're really, really good at. And really what I find you so good at is you're able to kind of to beautifully deconstruct the illusion of American politics or media or, you know, whatever the spin is out there and really break it down in in such a simple way that almost a kindergarten kid could understand it if they understood the uh-huh, issues uh-huh. and then and then you put it, you just place it so beautifully in like four one two three four six frames whatever it is and you walk us through it in such a way that the, it's very clear when you're at the at the end of the strip when you're reading it you're like i completely understand that issue and i completely understand how they have com- tried to hoodwink me into believing their bullshit that's very funny i think i am good at narrowing things down and i don't know if i work in cartoons because i'm good at narrowing things down or i'm good at narrowing things down because (laughs) i've been you know um but there is i mean yeah you know there, there is really no better practice i mean you know like it's actually you know any writer will tell you that writing you know, writing is hard enough, but then trying to write to uh, a very specific word count mm. and squeeze in as much as you want. I mean, that's the thing that takes me a lot of time uh, mm. is is figuring out 
what to what what I can take away. Yes. And still, you know, people think I'm very wordy. You should you should see a you know you should see the first draft. <laughs> There's no pictures at all. It's all you know, words. I, I bear that sucker down. Well, I think that's you know it's a great point. Um, I, I you know like if if anyone's attempted to write a haiku. Or, um, or a tweet. Or a tweet, even. Yes. You know, I've talked about this, that being on Twitter for me has actually taught me how to be a stand-up comedian because it makes me write the joke in a very certain way. And there's a certain rhythm to it, and it has to end in a certain way. And with only 140 characters, uh, limited is definitely uh, <laughs> is what it is. Yeah, no, it's an interesting self-imposed restriction. And I think it's really, I mean, you know, I find, you know, I'm a person who has gone on some Zen retreats and done a lot of meditation. And, you know, there's also like when I go on these retreats and you take away all these aspects of your life and then your your day is very regimented. You're up at 4.30 and you sit for 45 minutes and, the, and you have these different portions of the day. And, and you, at first you're, you're kind of bristling against it and you're bristling against the form of the sitting and the walking and the sitting and the bowing. And there's all this kind of formality and form. Mm-hmm. And yet when you sur- start to surrender to the form – that's when there's a whole nother level and an aspect of self that's um, tapped into. And, and so I, I, I hear what you're talking about, that, you know, you really do have this form and this, this little bit of time and space to use. And uh, I, I find that fascinating and, and really intriguing. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is just, uh, I, as I say, it's it's this challenge that is is partially structural and partially self-imposed. Now, which I guess is most things in life, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and um, I know for me, like uh, part of my nature is, is I get afraid to um, commit to things because I think, oh, once I'm inside that form, then I'm going to want to be outside of it in some way, and. Um, uh-huh. And and I'm wondering, do you have any longing to be doing any kind of other long form or or essay writing or skywriting oh, oh, totally, or totally? I mean, the reason you know, I I don't I don't know if you know this, but I was actually pretty much the first liberal blogger. Um, it's it's oh. kind of ironic that I ended up at Daily Coast because I I actually gave Marcus some of his earliest traffic because I started blogging when literally no one. Well, by literally, I mean mostly. <laughs> but there were very few people. You can look this up. One, the the uh, this is literally the very first article, the very first time blogging was mentioned in the New York Times. I think this was 2002. Was an article in the business section about what is this strange thing called uh, web blogging that the hmm. kids are doing, and it was an article about me. Like oh. I was literally the very first person, the very first blogger ever profiled in the New York Times. Wow. Um, and yeah, go back and look at that stuff. And I used to write long form a lot back in those days. And, you know, just, just to kind of show that I could, because I, I kind of got frustrated that people would look at the cartoon and say, oh, well, that's cute. But what, you know, too bad you're not a real writer. <laughs> right. The thing is that it just took too damn much time. Mm. It just took, you know, and especially after I had a kid and, mm. and had, you know, just, just other stuff, you know, to deal with day to day all the time the the long form right it was it was kind of a it eventually kind of felt like that i I could do that or i could do the cartoon there was a certain amount of energy Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that i poured into these things 
but doing both, one of the things was going to eventually kill the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of pulled back from it. And now I, now my blog, I feel like it's more uh, Atrio style. It's more just kind of quick hits and, mm-hmm. and, and links and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm perfectly capable of doing this. And yes, yes, I, I long, I, 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 I dream uh, uh, this, you know, of, of of having the time to do long form work, of having the time to do something different than what I'm doing. I have standing offers from two different publishers, uh, you know, which is not a bad thing in this economy, <laughs> yes. you know, to uh, to work on a longer form graphic novel. But it's it's uh, it's a catch twenty two or or a, a, a one person gift of the magi. The, mm. the fact that I have those offers is because I do this weekly cartoon. Right. But the weekly cartoon takes up so much of my energy that it is almost impossible to find the time to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. And and having to say no to something. Yeah. 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 That's tough. That's tough. Um, I was wondering if there's any, you know, you, you obviously do a lot of um, media commenting and, and certainly political commenting. Um, and is there, you know, is there any of like new characters or, you know, like have, have there you know, just like, is there a next, is there a new evolution coming? Is there, is there some new person or like, how do these characters even come about? Do they just like show up one day and you're like, Oh, I need to have Sparky now. <laughs> well, literally. Yeah. I mean, that, that is actually almost literally how, how Sparky showed up. He was just a character from a sketchbook who, uh, I just needed that voice one week mm. and, and tossed him in. Um, my cartoon was running in San Francisco in the San Francisco Examiner at that point, and I think it was right when I was starting there. So Sparky not only just kind of randomly came into being, but was promoted on the front page of the San Francisco Examiner above the fold, like nice. the week of his creation. Oh, my God. Um, you know, but yeah, it is. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I was adding it up recently, and I've, I've come up with this gigantic stable of, of recurrent characters, like those little aliens on Glock's News. Yes, I love those aliens. Uh, the uh, <laughs> conservative Jones, the sort of encyclopedia. That, that, uh, I'm tripping over my tongue here. The <laughs> Encyclopedia Brown-like character mm-hmm. whose who's answer for everything is because liberals hate America or some variation <laughs> on that. And and all of these things, you know, pretty much all come up as one-offs. I never create something thinking, oh, this will be a fabulous thing to return to over and over again. Right. Um, but then, you know, I'll use it once and I'll think, oh, you know, what would be good for this is to go back and use that guy. And, and, and then before you know it, I've, I've, I've turned him into a recurrent character. <laughs> I think my most recent one is uh, uh, Chuckles, the sensible woodchuck. I have no idea why I chose a woodchuck, um, but the sort of the sort of sensible centrist who who, who says, well, you know, I think wars. You know, that sounds like a you, you know the people, the 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 self uh, uh, described liberals who were um, swayed mm-hmm. by the arguments. For the Iraq War, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of them. Josh yes. Marshall, Matthew Iglesias, these people were pro-war. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but that was such, you, you know. And I come to this from from not a policy wonk perspective, but kind of a, a a college dropout kid from the Midwest, common sense perspective. That like, no, I know when someone's bullshitting me, right, right. right. And and so that you know that is kind of 
you know, I, I had the character of the sensible liberal for a long time, and then at a certain point, I just decided it would be more fun if if he had a woodchuck sidekick. Um, <laughs> and again, I don't know where that came from. I just thought I, I just had this image in my mind of a woodchuck with these big horn rim glasses, saying, mm, "Yes, perfectly sensible, makes sense to me," and that's pretty much his role in the cartoon. And, and that character, first week he showed up, someone put him on a birthday cake and sent me a picture. <laughs> <laughs> that was really cool. Well, I I think that's great because you know that I, I when you were thinking when you were talking about that first of all the voice of Wilford Brimley or something came into mind. Is that what his name was? <laughs> yeah, that was his name, right? The actor. Um, I could see him doing the woodchuck voice. Um, but you know, I I think that's great because there you know with all that's going, you know, and for myself even too, trying to sort through all the information and what's real and what's not real and what's sensible and not sensible. And, you know, we do have kind of all these voices inside of our head that, you know, kind of argue with each other anyway. And, and, yeah, and, definitely. and, so, you know, right. And I, and I, sometimes I, sometimes, you know, I think, well, maybe that is sensible, you know, and, and, and the whole thing about the Iraq war, it, it is so true. And my theory about that, that some of the people that became pro war is that, um, that, you know, I think they're really, that the, they got the shit scared out of them. You know, they like were really, really afraid and really bought into that. Yeah, because of the, the weapons of mass destruction, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I, mean, I know, but the thing is, it doesn't, you don't actually have to be, uh, you don't have to have a, a, a graduate degree in history. Um, although I, I'm actually married to someone with a graduate degree in history. Now that <laughs> That's I think handy. About it, but you don't, you don't have to have that <laughs> to understand that, um, that people lie. That that, that politicians lie. Yes. They're, 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 when when someone has decided that they want to go to war, the Iraq War was a particularly particularly maddening case mm. uh, because they had laid out the case for this. The 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 what was it called? The Project for a New American Century yep. had laid out the case for yep. this. You know, step by step. You know, it was very clear for for numerous reasons that there was a a drive to go to war with Iraq before there was any any plausible. <laughs> potential reason to do yep, so, yep. which should have set off everyone's alarm bells right there. But, you know, um, he just, oh, it would be very, I got, I got, gosh, the email I got in those days, all the people who were just talking about how terrible it would be if Saddam Hussein got weapons of mass destruction. I just, you know, everyone just blew their fucking lids after 9-11. Yeah, the, the logic horrible, left. horrible, day. Yeah. I, I was... I, I, I lived in New York City oh. for a long time, mm. and you know I was I was there then, and it was a horrible day, and I, I would never mean to underplay that. Mm. But you know, I also grew up under the sort of Damocles of of, of nuclear destruction. Mm. You know, like we have faced many horrible scenarios right. in in the course of this country. And the guys with box cutters who did some terrible shit with airplanes, this is not the existential threat to our country that Christopher Hitchens and Andrew Sullivan painted it as, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the idea that somehow fundamentalist Islam was going to sweep our nation and and that this posed some threat to our way of life, this this just kind of makes me, well, laugh while I'm banging my head against my <laughs> desk in despair, you know? Well, and, and the irony of it all is actually our reaction to it is the very thing that is undermining our country. 
Oh, I think, uh, I think, I mean, it's a cliche to say it at this point in time, but, you know, the terrorists won, man. Yeah. Everything, it, it couldn't have worked out better for them. Yeah. For, for very, very minimal investment, they got us to just run our entire country into the ground. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It, it is. It's just, you sit there and shake your head and go, it's so obvious, but I guess it's not obvious enough. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, it's back to the, Really, they're going to elect Reagan? That kind of thinking. <laughs> Republicans wish they could elect Reagan. They'd like to get zombie Reagan. I did a cartoon. I wish I hadn't already done it uh, because I would do it now. But I did a cartoon, uh, I guess, in 2008 where the uh, – was it 2000? When was it? Where they ran a uh, 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 guy in a Reagan mask. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> and that was the winning candidate, guy in a Reagan mask. Wow. And the vice president was another guy in a Reagan mask. <laughs> and the uh, the campaign slogan was, it's morning in America again, again. <laughs> you know, See what you do? That I wish I had now, that I wish I hadn't already written, because they really, I mean, yeah. Know, thought they were bad with you thought they were in bad shape with McCain they really want guy in a Reagan mask now well they do yeah I mean I'm you know I'm concerned for the Republican Party in just a, an empathetic way it's like where, where's the leadership there who who's gonna who's what are the next generation I mean I'm waiting for the whole party to just kind of self-destruct well, and go into three different of, directions this, this brings us back to the conversation about media and the blogs because the the legacy media, the mainstream media, are still holding to the uh, the equivalency one side, the other yes. side. You see this. You see this in Politico. You see this in Politifact. Yep. You see it in the New York Times. And and the bloggers are much more brutal and honest about this. But I think you really, you know, when one side, I mean, especially right now, when one side is sort of kind of middle of the road centrist and the other side is is batshit crazy <laughs> you can't say that these things are equal you I mean, can't they both have their flaws but they're different flaws and, yep. you know there's no middle ground i mean this is not my joke somebody else said it but if you're at a if you're at a restaurant and and one guy wants to order a plate of spaghetti and, and the other person wants to order um old auto parts you know mm. there, there's no middle ground mm-hmm. between that mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, yeah, and 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 that's it is. It's there's it, the psyche of America is it's it's mentally ill. I mean, it's like it's so off balance. The the bipolar has gone to just one side, and there's no there's no balance in the thinking. There's there's no. It, it, I, I'm I don't know. I, I just I sit there sometimes and just go okay. Um, I think I need to go play a Scrabble game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I am a I'm a firm believer in in having um thing in having enthusiasms. Mm, you know, I, I think like you need that to be word. enthusiastic. You need to be enthusiastic about things that have nothing to do. Politics is a battle. Yes. And if that's all you got, it'll consume your soul. Yeah. And- um, as I'm sitting here in this room, I'm I'm uh, maybe ten feet away from a pinball machine and a couple of guitars. Nice. You know, I, I got a lot of different things uh, that I like to do that 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 um, amuse me that have nothing to do with politics. Yeah, and and as I too, I mean, I've never really been a hugely political person. I mean, I, I've you know try to 
keep up as a citizen and all of that. But I found, you know, these times are kind of, you know, if, if you want to be an informed and, and, and at least active citizen, uh, you know, I feel like because of the batshit crazy part of it all, that, um, you have to at least engage a little bit more. And, and yet you're right. You do. You have to have your limits and, I don't get into the whole chitter chatter on Twitter about every, every little thing. I mean, I have fun uh-huh. during some of the GOP debates and I'll get, you know, I'll get on there and do tweet the press and be all snarky and have fun with that. But, uh, you know, I'm not a policy wonk or anything. I'm, I'm very interested in, and very committed to certain issues, uh, women's right to choose, First Amendment, things like that. Uh, money out of politics would be an amazing thing if we could get that rolling. Uh, but the rest of this, like you said, you know, in a week, it'll be a different kerfuffle. And, uh, you know, everyone's crawling. And possibly all- an important kerfuffle. And- possibly a, a kerfuffle that, that actually relates to the things you really care about. I mean, I mean yes. don't, 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 don't think that I'm saying bad, ah, don't pay any attention or whatever. That's, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not at all saying that. Yeah. And, and anyone, anyone on my Twitter feed knows that I can go off and, and rant and rave and get very pissed off and, and be a gigantic asshole when I get pissed off. <laughs> you know, I, the, you know, and, and I think these are all incredibly serious and important things to be doing. I'm just saying that just for mental health, you have to have other things also. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And if shock, if you're listening, I hope shock has some enthusiasms because he's very committed. (laughs) Right. Um, I wanted to, I was noticing, um, I don't know where it was. I was reading somewhere. You were discussing, um, the, uh, challenges of the nature of your business these days on the internet. And, and we talked a little bit about earlier in our talk here, but, you know, the whole idea of how, I mean, two, you were saying in 2002, you were one of the first bloggers. That was 10 years ago. Uh, I think about even just the changes that have happened since my father died three and a half years ago. Um, it's insane. I mean, just everything. I mean, when my dad died, it's like, uh, not only did the economy tank right after he died, but, the DVD sales went away, CD sales. I mean, all this stuff that, you know, my dad used to rely on uh, as, as income, it, it sure. all disappeared, yeah. you know, and, um, and it's been well, really, I have, I have, uh, I have, I have friends in a couple of different, uh, bands of varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. And, and it has, it has really changed that industry. Oh, hugely. I mean, I'm sitting here with my friend Logan, who's a musician and <laughs> he's a young up and coming uh, musician and, uh, he's starting off in this business this way. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, and, you know, and I was thinking about this because it's, you know, in, in the past, the arts, with the big, you know, quotation mark around that, you know, were these things that were, um, supported by, you know, institutions that, you know, there was the ballet and there's dance and music and theater and all that kind of stuff. And it had this kind of this mainstream arts and had money flowing towards it by nice, rich, wealthy people and institutions and foundations and all that kind of stuff. And then there was always, then there was the independent artists and things like that. And, and then of course, you know, in the eighties, we really saw it here in Hollywood. The corporations came in and the bean counters started running everything. And I'm guessing that happened in the music industry and it happened in the media too, I suppose, everything. And, um, and, and I think, I don't know when the word content started being used, but I really believe that the word content has completely undermined 
what we do as artists because we are now just seen as fucking filler. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, I remember doing a cartoon, um, making fun or not making fun. It was more of a sort of primal scream of, of rage, you know, uh, against the very idea of, uh, of that and of, of, um, a writer named Esther Dyson saying that in the future, and this is 1996, I suppose, hmm. in the future, um, artists will not be able to make a living off their art. They'll have to also give lectures and so forth. And, hmm. and I took that idea <laughs> and, and, you know, deconstructed it in, in the worst case scenario, uh, which is pretty much what has actually come to pass. <laughs> I mean, in fairness to Esther <sighs> Dyson, she was right. Yeah. She saw what was coming. The, yeah. the thing that sucks about it is that nobody had a plausible alternative. Mm. Um, there's a writer named J- Jaron Lanier who's written an entire books on this subject. He's a, a, a programmer, a, a computer guy, uh, and he's written books and had all these theories. And he, he's at least one of the one of the people who will acknowledge that these innovations uh, that have changed everyone's lives have also kind of destroyed the ability of artists to make a living. Mm -hmm. And and it would be nice if there were some way to kind of compensate for that somehow. Uh, One of the ironies that I learned from him, so I don't, I I only know this from reading his book is that uh, I believe the very code, I believe HTML itself or some very fundamental code, but I, and I think it's actually HTML was initially written by someone who was hoping that it would be usable, uh, for micropayments to artists. Hmm. So the very thing, and I'm probably mangling the story and I'm sure that people will email me and <laughs> tweet me if I am, but the fundamental point is the very thing that created the possibility of of all of our livelihoods being destroyed was created by someone who thought he was doing us a favor. Right, right. And gosh, just one of life's little ironies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you just have to, I mean, yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of time raging against the uh, the darkness there, but you just, you just, we don't have any choice. We yep. have to, we have to move on and adapt. And so, you know, I'm doing the best I can with that, like everybody else. Yep. Yep. We're all kind of, uh, you know, yeah, I feel like it's, although we have the trappings of civilization around us, it's kind of post apocalyptic in some ways. It's like these institutions and these ways of, of, of kind of the, the normal marketplace has blown up all around us. There's just shards yeah. of it around and we're literally foraging in the corners saying, Hey, I know, um, I'll, I'll I'm going to play a little song for you. Could you throw me some food? <laughs> Literally, it feels like that, you know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 uh, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I, I, I got very lucky, uh, when I, when I started working, uh, with Daily Coast because, uh, Marcos Melitsis is a, is a huge fan of cartoons and has been, very supportive of the idea of, of building up a car, uh, a, a cartoon section mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and actually paying contributors. Mm. One of the, one of the things that, that I wanted to do with that was to change, and, and I don't know if I will, but to, but to set an example, to change a paradigm, you know, to, to, to lay things out that, um, 
cannot be the Huffington Post and not mm-hmm. say, oh, we'd really love to run your work and you'll get exposure. Right. I mean, exposure, of course, does not pay the bills. You exactly. Know, the, the, the landlord, the grocer, they don't take exposure. Yep. Um, I, you know, I was... I, I I was ready for a change from Salon for various reasons, and and I had been talking with various people over the years, and um, I had been talking with Huffington Post, and they were very excited about running my cartoon, and I said, great, let's talk money, and mm. they wrote back and said, well, we're going to we're very busy right now, so we're going to stop thinking about this very exciting idea right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and and you know, so I, I you really got to give Marcos his props yeah. because he took this thing and I've built up this space. Now we've got, um, me, five other cartoonists and everybody's getting paid mm, and beautiful. they just, we, you know, we just had a fundraiser on the site and we're about to expand the comic section. And you know, it's not, nobody's making a living here, including myself off right. of this alone, right. but it's setting an example. It's setting an example for Huffington Post and Talking Points Memo and all these places that don't pay cartoonists. Mm-hmm. That this is, you know, especially political cartoonists, that this is an important and uniquely American art form. Mm-hmm. And if these motherfuckers don't get on board, like this, this thing dies. This thing dies yep. this generation. Yep. And, you know, like nobody, you know, everybody can only do so much. And this is my one small thing I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I hope that it sets more of an example. Well, I, I think that's beautiful. And, and the, the thing I really love about that is you, you know, wh- whoever we are and the work we do, we're the ones who have to know the value of it and hold the value of it and respect the value of it in order to demand that it, it be respected in the marketplace. And, right. you know, and, and I, you know, and I know s- starting out for myself, you know, the ex- exposure is important to me. And I was on the Huffington Post for a little while. And then it was like, well, that takes a lot of time and I'm not really getting anything out of it. And, right. and, you know, and, and, you know, and then doing this podcast, which I, I love to do because I get to do what I love, which is have fascinating conversations with people that I want to talk to. And yet, you know, I don't make any money here. And, you know, and I put up a donate button on my site, because it's like, you know, if you appreciate what I do, I value what I do. If you value it too, you know, I'd I'd love to have that support. And it's, and it's so weird to, you know, uh, have to ask for it in that way. And I feel awkward. And I'm trying to work. It's awkward. I I always feel awkward about it. And and it's hard to sustain. I mean, people, I've, you know, Certainly on my side, my readers have ha- have these bursts of generosity, and, mm-hmm. and you know I'm certainly grateful for that. And it it it's a it's a fine thing, but it would not be it's not it's not a model that that would allow me to sustain my life. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, the book, um, to be perfectly honest, I've got two things going for me right now. Uh, one is that I married somebody with a sort of more secure profession and, and income. And two is that I, uh, I still run in a lot of print newspapers. Mm-hmm. That, the, the print newspapers are mm-hmm. still 90% of my income. I mean, if yep. when, when print eventually dies, you know, that's when I'm really not sure what the hell I'm going to do. Right, right. Yeah. The day the newspaper died. <laughs> That'll be an interesting day. Yeah, well, it's it's all changing, and we're all kind of um, tap dancing on the iceberg or something. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> uh, you know, 
It's so many people. A lot of people having this conversation. Completely we'll talk about something happy now, Kelly. Yeah, I know, but but it's uh, the reason you know I ha- and I do have this conversation a lot on here too. But it, but it is because we're all trying to sort our way through it, and I think the more we talk about it, the more you know chances that some you know some model something's gonna you know Louis C.K. just did. Did you see what he just did? Yeah, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, I mean that's great. There's always, I mean, and it worked for him. It works, but all of those things that kind of work for the one guy. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's a very difficult model. You know, if if you're at that point where you've had the TV show and you're a very funny and talented guy, and and you've got this large audience, you know, at that point you can break free and do this independent thing. Yes. You know. For your friend, the musician who's just starting out, that's a lot harder to pull off. <laughs> this is true. This is true. No, it's, it is true. But I think what was kind of hopeful about the Louis C.K. thing was that he, he took the bold step, you know, because let me tell you right now, like my dad, if he was still alive, HBO would be paying him a big sum of money because he had been with HBO for however right. many years and he's George right. Carlin and all of that kind of stuff. But I have to tell you every other big name comic and I'm talking big name comic who has a special out there, HBO, Showtime, none of those people are paying anything for it. You have to go out and produce it yourself. It's a it's that that little section of the world has changed also. You know, I mean you could be the biggest, the biggest comic in town and you still have to go produce your own thing and they pay you a pittance of what they used to pay you. And and so for me seeing Louis C.K. do that, it was like, oh, someone's kind of taking the industry by the balls and saying, Okay, you're backing away and I'm gonna do it this way. And and so for me it's like, oh yeah, there's always new fresh ideas. And yes, of course, for people starting to be an adventure. It we is may be doing our, our we, we may have gigantic audiences. We may be doing our podcasts and our cartoons and then going down to work our day jobs at Walmart, you know? <laughs> exactly. You know what? The rest of Earth will just be one big Walmart. It's we'll just all work at the Walmart. <laughs> I don't know who'll be shopping there because we'll all be working at the Walmart. It's very confusing. <laughs> well, we'll take turns. You know, I, okay, that's that. oh, that's what it. Today's shopping I mean, day. At least if you if you, I mean, and and that's sort of the the fundamental economic model that right, like, that's everyone true. has a job that yep. you can take turns buying each other stuff. The yep. problem these days no jobs. is that we funnel all of our money up to the very top. Yep. And and nobody, you know, nobody else has, you know, nobody else can. Uh, yep. Anyway. Anyway. I see where you're going. You see where I'm going with that. I see where you're going with that, honey. So um, we're almost out of time here. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And um, everyone, uh, follow Dan. He's at Tom Tomorrow on Twitter. And uh, Google him, This Modern World, and check out his uh, cartoons. And if you read the newspaper, read him there. And, uh, you know. Buy some fabulous. I want more T-shirts, Dan. I we need more. Well, I just sparky T-shirts. Uh, there's this, you know, speaking of new ways to do it. There's this great company called uh, Topatico mm. that's run by artists, artist friendly. For a long time, I was with this other sort of print-on-demand thing that a lot of people use called Cafe Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this new company, as I say, they're run by artists. They they do wonderful work on on. Uh, on the kind of t-shirts that you don't have to like tug down from your neck all the time, which is always <laughs> the thing that, that drives me crazy. Yes. So I've just started working with them and we we just kind of like rushed one design up right before Christmas. But I think that's going to be, I think we're going to do, they're just very cool. And I think we're going to do some cool stuff. I think it would be great um, because you've got great characters and great things to say. And exactly, you know, you know figure out, no, 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 
you know, having, you know, I assume you've seen the cartoons, figuring yes. out how to squeeze all of that I, onto a T-shirt see, has e- always been the problem. It's the haiku of the haiku. <laughs> wow, are we really done already? I feel like we've got like half the conversation over with. <laughs> we are. We're done. Well, thank you, Dan. All right. I will see you on the Twitter and uh you have a great week and um thank you for keeping us sane. Oh, well, uh thanks for having me on your show. My pleasure. Well, everyone, that was Dan Perkins, and uh, as you, I said, uh, oops, hold on, uh, Mr. Tom Tomorrow, which I just love that name. It does. It does need an echo. Um, and uh, I'm going to, uh, what do I need to do here? Oh, I need to say goodbye. Okay. I need to do my end of the show stuff. So, everyone, thanks for being here. Happy New Year. Um, you know, in the New Year, let's try unplugging from the technology for a few hours a day. I know I will. Um, as I mentioned before, I have a donate button on my page. If you go to kellycarlin.com forward slash waking, uh, you'll see the little donut, donut. Maybe it's a donut. I should make the donate button a donut button. Mmm, chocolate old fashioned. That's what I want. I haven't had chocolate in a while. Uh, there's a donate button on my page. If you love my podcast, uh, and want to support my work, that would be most fabulous. It'll pay for Logan's gas this week. <laughs> And I want to thank Logan Heftel for being here and all the crew at Smodcast who do all of the thingings and the thingings and the networkings and the thingings and making it all beautiful and the graphics and all that kind of stuff and putting the names up of my guests and all of that. Thank you all so much. And of course, I want to thank Kevin for Kevin Smith for, you know, creating the Smodcast and, and being the fabulous man that he is. Uh, next week, I'm very excited. I have Michael McKean. Yes, that Michael McKean, you know, from Spinal Tap, Best in Show, uh, Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, that Michael McKean will be here at my house in the studio, hanging out with Logan and I. So excited. Um, what else? You can find me on Twitter. I'm Kelly underscore Carlin. And you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I have a friend page. I have like a like page and then I have a regular page and I do the same thing on both pages. So come find me wherever. Um, what else? What else is going on? Yes. Come see me in San Francisco at my show. I uh, hope to see you in LA if you've bought tickets. Uh, my dog barking earlier was Stella. She's the little Jack Russell. And then we have the big red dog named Ned. He's a big question mark. We don't know what Ned is. I'll put pictures up of them. You can find them on my Facebook page, too. Uh, we're going to end the show. I'm going to end the show with a little Logan Heftel music. Um, let's see. Which one? Hmm. Okay. I think we're going to play one of my favorites. It's called One Day. What's that album from? One Day. Yep. The album's called One Day, too. And you can find it at loganheftel.com, of course, because we all have websites. <laughs> And I think this year, Logan, you and I need to be doing t-shirts in our life. We need to make t-shirts. I'm already making t-shirt notes. He's making t-shirt notes, people. People, it's it's all going to happen. All right, you guys have a beautiful week. We'll see you next week with Mr. Michael McKean. And until then, um, what did I say on my first Twitter of the day? I said, um, don't listen to what the world is telling you to do. Listen to your heart. It'll tell you the truth. That's my daily wisdom. Have a good one. Thank you.
If I'd done what I said I would do If I spent less time just looking through If I'd gotten up early and gone back to school Or spent each Sunday in the same big room If I had one day, one day to live I'd be on my way to the time that I'd given up to boredom again If I had one day, I'd forget to blame on my way to the times that I've given up with fiction and names if I had one day, just one day. What if I'd gone where I said I would go? If I'd kept my word, would anyone know? If I'd gotten in earlier, answered the phone, or read through the chapters before on my own? If I had one day, one day to live. On my way to the time that I'd given up to boredom again. If I had one day, I'd be the one to blame. What can I say to the time spent complaining just when things went my way? If I had one day, just one day. Hold you back then there is no help Is it better to play it safe Or spend the rest of your days asking Did I rob myself Or is it better to fail As you probably will Like countless nameless did before Or was yet success Catastrophe at best Then no answer is alpha Only yours If I had one day, one day to live, I'd be on my way to the time that I'd given up to boredom again. If I had one day, I'd do it all the same. What can I say to the times that I've given up for fiction and names? If I had one day, just 